Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and this is episode 20. And my guest today is David Sun, who has been featured on Tasty Trades Rising Star series about a year ago. And he's currently running his own hedge fund using the option trading concepts he's learned from Tasty Trade. And he was nice enough to share his approach to options trading with me in our conversation that we're going to put on here today. Now, because of the length and the depth, really the depth of my conversation, conversation with David. I decided to split this into two episodes because I don't want any of these concepts um, or discussions to get lost on anybody because we kind of talk about a few different things and we get really deep on some of these. So we split it. I'm going to split it into two episodes. In today's episode, David's going to give us an overview of the Tasty Trade style options. And we talk a little bit about being delta neutral and then get into a discussion about rolling or fixing trades and the concept of keeping the dream alive. I know everyone wants to talk about that. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast because in the next episode, Dave and I are going to compare our approaches uh, to where we like to hang out on the option chain. And he's going to share one of his strategies. It's an SPY put selling strategy and how he actually uses stops with which actually isn't quite a tasty trade thing. Uh, so it's just so much good information, um, and I think you're going to enjoy both episodes. But real quick, after listening to this episode, if you want to learn more about David or connect with him online, he has put up a webpage at thetradebusters.com. That's thetradebusters.com, where he shares some of his written essays about options, um, as well as some strategies and back tests. So be sure to check that out when you get a chance. All right, enough of the intro. Let's get into the show. All right, David Sun, welcome to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you good. for having me on. Yeah, we had a, a couple of good conversations. Um, and just for the listeners, and, and the previous episode or one or two episodes back, I was talking to Ben from Wingman Tracker, and he's the one who hooked me up with you because we were talking about some backtesting. That's something we're going to probably get into at some point. Sure. Uh, but I want to start with you and a little bit about your story. Some people may know who you are because... You were um, a rising star on the Tasty Trade Network at some point. And so can you, uh, you know, every time I have someone on about options, because it's so obscure, um, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast are maybe not into options yet, or they're still, you know, making that transition from stocks to options and, and you know, doing both maybe. But I always like to know, like, how you got started with options, because a, a lot of people just don't even know that they exist still. So how did you get in with options and maybe lead me up to, to the tasty trade story about how you got on that show? Yeah. So um, I was in grad school at, at uh, Princeton University back in uh, 09, 08, 09. And for whatever reason, maybe because of all the news about the financial meltdown and stuff on CNBC, I, I just decided I want to get engaged with the stock market. And, and it was very, you know, picking stock like just watch mad money and whatever jim kramer says let's go buy, you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. basic stuff and, and i had a friend who was in the options and he got me into it he kind of taught me the basics of like selling puts um covered calls and what intrigued me with this idea of kind of rolling you know you can do this position and get a credit and if it moves against you potentially you can roll for a credit and still collect more money eventually you you know you win because the stock recovers or whatever. So this, mm -hmm. this idea about, and it wasn't really even about the math back then. Cause I did not know a Delta from a theta. I just knew, you know, I, I would literally go on the chain and be like, Hmm, I want to collect, you know, 2% a month. What strike do I need to get, you know, 2% right. annualized or what? No, not even annualized 2% a month. And I just assumed if I do this and I roll it, I can get, you know, X percent a year. And 
I got very lucky. Well, you can almost say unlucky because honestly, I think sometimes when you make money right away, you don't learn. So I, I obviously, if you, the timeline, the oh nine, it was right at the beginning of the bull market. So everything was working. Mm, right. I, I, I think I like doubled my account in like two years or something. It was something where you just, you just assume this is it. Right. Right. Um, right. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and actually I was fortunate. I, I took a lot of my money out to buy my first house uh, sometime around then. But then I, I turned around, I saw all these stocks I was selling puts on basically crash or, or something. And like, I was like, geez, like if I hadn't gotten out when I did, I would have just lost a bunch of it. So there was a, a right. lot of luck there. And um, that kind of, disillusioned me a little bit so i was kind of in and out of the market i wasn't really participating that much even though i had that kind of success and i had that knowledge of like how options work and, and rolling and all that mm -hmm. um but um after i got my first job and i was you know my my office mate he was basically he had some money being managed by by some firm that he wasn't happy with their performance and he knew i did options so he just kind of looked around online like ways to make money or where to invest so mm -hmm. he actually was the one that found Tasty Trade. This was around 2017. And okay. he wasn't as involved, but he knew like there was something interesting because they were talking about different jargony terms that he had heard me mention. Mm -hmm. in the, but he didn't quite understand that. So he actually was trying to bug me to watch Tasty Trade for like two or three weeks. And I wasn't really into it because of my past experience. And I was like, okay, fine. If you found something good, fine, go for it. Like, and, and, and they got this weird name, like, what is Tasty Trade? Right. So I blew yeah. him off for like a while. And he's like, David, please just watch this episode. And and it was one of those like uh, uh, calling Tom and Tony segments. And mm -hmm. somebody was asking about like, do I hold my position and get all the theta from the last minute, you know? And they were talking about, no, you, you got to roll it because of the, like the gamma risk or whatever. And like, mm -hmm. kind of, and like, it was enough to be like, Hey, you know, I, I understand some of this, but there's seems to be some other concept that I don't get that sound interesting. Mm -hmm. um, right. That's, that's how it started. And nice. as you know, when you start with tasty trade, you know, it just yeah. explodes. So yeah. you get it. That was, um, yeah. So that, that's how I got started with, with tasty trade and, and got engaged in all that and started watching their content. Nice. So I want to, I want to add, you, you didn't, you know, you didn't say this, but you're, you have an electrical engineering background and, um, is that, that's true. It, it's electric, true, yes. electric, yeah. Electrical, correct. Electrical engineering. So I have an IT background and I had, I had Fozia Timberlake on a few episodes ago. She was a rising star and she was actually had an engineering background too. So there's an allure about the math that I think um, I know we've already talked about math and, and I, and I'm trying, I'm trying to keep it, uh, try to try to keep these episodes, you know, human, humanly understandable, even though you, it gets very mathematical, but there was that one of the things that kind of sparked, you know, lit something into you, but like, oh, there's a mathematical way to do this Math or definitely the mathematical you know? and a way where you can not just leave it to not to pure chance. Obviously there's chance and probabilities, but you right. have some control over your outcome just through the risk management kind of shape the the path of your expectancy and not just leave it completely the chance like oh i hope this this trade right. wins or right. whatever it is um yeah and you know what tell me this happens to you because this happens to me sometimes i don't have a lot of friends that trade or do this stuff it's really just my online community and people like you that i that i get to uh to speak to um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get into fundamental analysis, but when I tell people that I mathematically 
and I don't use that term, but basically say, Hey, I use probabilities in my trading. There's this automatic sort of go-to of, Oh, Oh, like blackjack. Oh, that's gambling. If you're doing probabilities, you're gambling. But, um, but if you're buying a stock because, you know, they invented a new way of doing things, then that's investing. Like how, how do you see that type of, um, sort of mindset? Because I think, I think that's hard for people to transition from stocks to options because you almost have to throw out most of the fundamental analysis because that's not the top thing that you're looking for. So like when you're, if you want to trade, let's say you want to trade Apple, you, you believe it's a good stock or whatever, right. but, but still when you get into the options world, you still need to know their earnings, the, the IV, like things that are happening. And, and maybe you have a, a an undertone of a, like, I think Apple's going to go up forever, or Amazon. So maybe you, you just trade bullish strategies, which probably right. have worked really well, obviously. But how do, you, how do you think about those type of comments or questions about, for, for someone who's trying to transition from stocks to options, moving from, hey, don't worry about the company as much, worry, worry about the option parameters, and, and let's talk about probabilities. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's what well, knowing what I know now, it, it's very easy to turn that around on its head because if they make that comment, it's gambling or it's like blackjack. I'm like, yes, except I'm the house, right? I'm gambling right. as the house right. this time. Do you want to be the player or the house? And especially since most people are taught that, you know, gambling in the casino is rigged in the favor of the house. Mm -hmm. And even the common people know that they'd be like, yeah, of course you can't win against the house. Well, if you're going to be the house, that's exactly the, approach we're trying to take we want to right. do it in a way that there's some edge you know right um, yeah and edge the edge is where you end up right yes yes yeah so when so when i reply to people like that i'll basically re reverse that sometime and it's like do you not think that buying the stock isn't gambling too that too right like exactly. what's the difference right, right? like yes. Everyone saw their, you know, did you, what did your 401k do in March of 2020? It got cut by 30%. So right. by you doing nothing, you are gambling. And, and that's something I try to tell people who, um, mainly non-traders, if you will, more, you know, people who are just saving for retirement type of stuff that you not taking action is a decision and that has its own risks. And you're basically relying on, you just hope by the time you retire, there isn't right. a meltdown during that time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but as you and I are, and most people who listen to this show, um, we're more active and by active you, we feel like, and I, I hate to say we get, because I, I always try to underestimate or, um, try, or I should say, I try not to overstate how much control I really have. Cause I really feel like I have no control. Right. The only control that I have is when I hit, when I've hit that confirm and send button and that's it right. after that, the universe starts working, but, um, yeah. So, so getting the edge in your favor is, is definitely, um, what we're trying to do from an option perspective. And, um, I, so I'm interested to get your take on tasty trades version of that. And, and let me ask you, when, when did you do the rising star segment? I saw on YouTube and by the way, for those that are listening, if you guys want to see his segment, if you just put into YouTube, David Sun, Rising Star, I think it's the first video that comes up. It says it was posted a year ago. Is that about when it was? It was November 2019. Yeah. And, okay. and just to kind of 
bridge that gap. So I found him in 2017, obviously got a lot of content, really accelerated my learning curve. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was looking up uh, groups to kind of kind of share ideas with or find find like a group that I can chat and have other like minds. So there's a couple of larger tasty trade um, options groups on Facebook. Right. Um, So I joined those, met a lot of good traders, absorbed a lot of ideas. And uh, I actually um, got to the point where I, I launched my own hedge fund um, late 2018. And around that time, I reached out to, because one of my friends was like, hey, you should be on Rising Stars. And I didn't know you could just be like, I, I assume they invited people, but apparently you can reach out and ask, you know, and they're not going to take anyone, you know, they're going to interview you first via email, then for a phone interview to right. see if you, you, know, you know what you're saying and um, you actually are a good fit. And then you go go in. Uh, so in in my Rising Star segment, um, I didn't talk about the hedge fund, but that was sort of my impetus for reaching out because I thought it would be kind of a cool story. Like, hey, you know, somebody that found you guys, followed you, was able to have success and, and, and kind of launch a fund and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, I didn't talk about it on air, but that was what kind of sparked it. So 2019, November, yeah, I, I, I flew in to Chicago for like, eight hours or something like that. Yeah. I got there uh, I got there at midnight, uh, slept for like four hours, uh, Ubered over to the studio at like seven, had my interview, Ubered back to the airport and went home that, that same afternoon. And that was before, and, and I guess it, it was cool to have the experience because this is obviously just before, you know, a couple of months before the whole COVID thing. Um, so so that- How that long was- had you been watching Tasty Trade before you did that segment? You said seven, so maybe two uh, years. It, it was July 2017 when I started okay. watching. So okay. July, just over two years. Actually, so, yeah. So did you, were you, I don't want to use, I hate to use the word starstruck, but was it kind of like, um, what, what, what did that feel like? Was it intimidating or nervous or what, were you just like super pumped or what? what, I, was, what? I was super pumped and it was yeah. cool because like, they're, they're all really nice people. They're like yeah, really yeah. welcoming. And it was just like, because I've been, you know, I've called in to the Tom and Tony show like multiple times. I've mm-hmm. talked with Tom. I've, I've corresponded with Tom via email. So it's like, you know, it, it's not like meeting a stranger for the first time, you know, and, and again, they make you feel really welcome. Right, so right. It, it, it was just a really cool experience to like see, you know, the people you've been watching. And yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I know, I know like um, one of the people I probably watched the most of is Mike and his whiteboard. Right. So I know like if I, sh- if, if he was there, I, I, I would probably be more, you know, whatever, like, dude, I watch all your stuff. You know I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. so that's, that's cool. And, and I'll just, I'll just throw in one more thing about Tom. So I, I have a, a local options group here in Orlando. We're, we're basically meeting online now because of COVID, but, um, one of the guys reached out to them and, and was like, Hey, do you want to hop on our monthly meetup on zoom? And, and he just said, yeah. And it was just like, like it was, you know, there's 50 people on it. So I, 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 I just think that that's pretty cool given Tom's uh, stature in the industry. And uh, which kind of reminds me um, that, that they recently merged or whatever with um, I forget the name of the company, but they're going to be going, going global. Have you, have you heard about that? Um, I did. Yeah. With yeah IG. So yeah. what do you, what do you I don't want to talk about too much, but what do you think about that? Like I was, I was kind of worried because I had literally just opened up my Tastyworks account and I was like, well, what is this going to mean? And, but just prior to that announcement, Tom was on our, our meetup group about a, a month or two ago and, and really talking about the technology and all the things that they're going to be able to do and add. And so I was excited. You can be able to trade crypto in there. 
um, a lot of international markets. So he probably knew at that time that that was going to happen. But um, so, you, you know, do you think that's a overall positive for Tasty Trade and the, 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 their universe? I, I feel like as long as sort of the level of service and the technology is still still there, I mean, why not? Yeah. Right? It gives people access. It gives them more of a viewership. It gives, you know, and like I said, if there's more products, more choice for the consumer. That, mm-hmm. That's that should always be a good yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I see it as a positive right now. I know one of the things that that started me or sort of started some thoughts in me was about like I'm still on Thinkorswim, and and Thinkorswim I still think is one of the the best platforms. I love it, and maybe because I'm used to it, and there's all that stuff I've been on it for years. Uh, but but I do feel like it hasn't changed, and there isn't not that there's a whole bunch of things to change, but but I would like to see some innovation. And I think what I'm, what I'm hoping, my biggest fear for Tasty Trade is that in 10 years, it's still the same technology and, and hopefully right. they'll be able to continue to, to build out features and technology. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a net positive after reading and hearing the announcements and some of their discussions. But anyway, I don't want to get stuck on, on Tasty Trade too much. So let's, let's, um, let's get back to your quick version of the tasty trade style and what are the, some of the key concepts? Cause I know you, I, I've read some of your, um, essays that, that you like to, you know, get on paper and, um, I'm interested to kind of talk through that with you. Yeah. So uh, obviously because there's so much content that they put out, um, there's a few main concepts that repeat themselves. And unless you kind of dig in and look at all the nuances, which there, there's so much out there that, Obviously, trade small, trade often is a huge one that that's phrase gets thrown around. And this idea of uh, letting the probabilities play out, multiple occurrences, um, selling premium, obviously, is one of the fundamental uh, key concepts, right? They, although, you know, in the past, depending on the environment, you can buy if it's low IVR, but selling is kind of just the, the, the primary thing that, that, that they talk about. So selling premium um, using a mix of strategy, strategic diversification. One thing that I found though, is when you trade small and, and small is relative, right? Like small for a yeah. $10,000 account versus a million dollar account, you know, um, that's going to be different. Um, and then of course the idea of management and risk um, and mechanics and adjusting the trades. And of course, one of the main things that they talk about is rolling uh, a trade and they don't like the idea of necessarily using a hard stop on a position when, mm-hmm. when a position moves against you, you manage early, um, you can roll out, you can roll out or up and down the strike. And the idea of keeping the dream alive so that you're always collecting a credit. So those are the sort of the key tenements that, that people gravitate toward when, yeah. when initially they hear all this. But there's a lot going on under the hood and kind of nuances. <laughs> and I think one of them is people don't always realize when you roll a position, it's pretty much like closing one trade and opening another one. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to have like a unrealized. Well, I, honestly, it's realized like you have a drawdown on that one position, right? Even though we collected a credit and you're like, oh, I'm going to win at some point and I, I didn't, you know, pay a debit. So I didn't lose or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that with a smaller account, if you only have five positions and, and three of them go underwater, right? Your account is going to take a big ding. And until you can get out of that, your capital is tied up um, until you can kind of recover. But whereas with a much larger account, you may have, you have 30 or 40 positions. And if, if two or three of them go underwater, 
and you still have the other ones um, you know, working in your favor, the, the proportional hit that you take from these you know, two or three, even if the losers get a little larger, it's just the effect of everything is more muted. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is everything they teach uh, can work, but I think the unfortunate truth is you do need a little bit more capital to use it efficiently if you want to have your portfolio not be too volatile. Um, so I think that's the one thing that gotcha. people have to understand and just kind of set the expectation. When your account is smaller, I just view it more as a training ground. Uh, don't necessarily expect to make a bunch of money, uh, you know, because if you want to gamble, gamble. But if you want to really learn this craft and have something where it's a skill set that you can apply consistently for the long term, you have to kind of set the expectations so that you don't get disillusioned or discouraged when things don't go your way. Gotcha. And, and let me let me ask you, do, do they, or I shouldn't say do they, because um, how Delta neutral is the recommendations? Because he, here's, here's, I got to, and I don't want to say I have a problem, but and it did, some of these, some of the concepts didn't work for me. And, and one of the concepts was rolling. I right. just wasn't good at it. And typically I've, I've had trouble rolling the, the upside because the market has ultimately gone up and I would find myself, I looked and I looked back in 2019 and 2020, most of my losing trades were bearish slant type trade, right. especially in 2019. And so I just gave in, <laughs> threw in the towel and just said, I'm just not going to try to be Delta neutral. I just right. can't, it doesn't work. And the idea that if, if you're, you know, let's say you're short puts or put spreads or whatever, and they go against you rolling out in time, you know, in high, we're looking in hindsight, that's going to work the last several years because ultimately the market recovers. Right. Right. So if you can just hang on to that pain long enough, um, and, and, and not close it and roll, um, then that when the recovery happens, then, you know, you're a genius. Right. Right. So he here's, here's the bad effect that I've seen from the idea of rolling. So I have a Facebook group. I'm in a few groups. The, one of the questions that I wouldn't say questions, one of the things that comes up that that what I think are newer traders is that this idea that they're able to fix a trade. Okay. Um, right. And that, um, and I think that that, because usually when they post something to the effect of, Hey, Oh man, I, I took a beating on this. What should I do now to fix it? Right. Because they think right. there's a fix and they right. think rolling or adjusting is the fix. Um, I don't have the answer because I've never been good at it. Other than if you're, if you sold call spreads, I'll be honest. I don't think you can fix it. <laughs> yeah, right, the market's right, going up. Right, you can't right. fix it. If you sold put spreads or or whatever, but and a lot of times they're coming in with like, oh, this expires in four days. What can I do? And I know like some stuff's just impossible. But right. Um, but do you think? I, I guess where I'm headed with this is, do you think that there's there's uh, a proper rolling system that fits in with the tasty trade? So if, if you're going with the 45 DTE. Maybe you're selling Delta 20. Is that, is that kind of where, where you hang out? And I know we're going to talk about where we hang out on the Delta curve, because I think there's a lot of variance there. But um, when you hang out farther out of the money, 
Um, do you have a rolling system? Cause I've seen things where people say, okay, well, if I'm selling a Delta 20 and then the stock goes against me and now my Delta is Delta 30, is that when you roll or what's your criteria or, or, or you know, um, how do you, how do you handle that? I guess is what I want to get to. Okay. Hey, well, I'm just, I know it's a lot of, I know yeah. a little no, bit. No, there, there's a lot to unpack. So I want to <laughs> yeah. address kind of different points. Sure. Uh, first of all, um, I want to address it on the portfolio level and on the individual trade level. As far as the individual trade level, you know, fixing or adjusting, there's a bit of mental counting that goes on because ultimately when you roll, you are literally closing one position, opening a new one. And right. one, one profit or loss is realized and then you open a new one that becomes unrealized. And this idea of keeping the dream alive and this position where you're mentally attract, uh, no, keeping a log of the credits or whatever. And at the end of the day, you rolled it 10 times and you broke even. Well, really that was one huge losing trade, one smaller winner, one smaller winner, one smaller winner. Ultimately you have enough winners that basically stack up and, you know, wash out that, that loser. That's literally what it is. But right. again, this concept of when you have, How, let, let me, mm-hmm. however, the, the ego portion of saying I didn't lose is, I think, a factor nobody talks about. Nobody wants to yes. admit yes. Yes. that they lost and that they were wrong, and, and, and it, which that is the wrong mindset. You are not wrong. When you, when you go into a high probability trade, you are not wrong. You're never wrong or you're right. It's just yeah. What, yeah. where the you, probability landed in, in this right. magical distribution it, it, of winners and losers. And, and there's, I think if you can disconnect that ego, uh, which I've learned to do painfully, it's taken me a while. Um, I would just take the loss. I would just be like, damn, you know, I well, lost because for me, what another, something you said right. was to me, there was too much mental capital being taken up in that loser oh, Yeah, mental capital, right? To where <laughs> I could not, I was, it would affect my future trades. If I was hanging on to this luggage, um, from a previous relationship <laughs> right, call right. It a trade, you know what I mean? Uh, so, so this idea, look, if you're rolling this thing purely due to ego, I, I don't think that's the right motivation, but if it's calculated and you you go, okay, I have the uh, risk capacity to, to inventory this one position and let it work itself out. Um, and you make that determination <clears throat> with a plan. That's okay. And, and again, that comes back to what I said earlier. If you're well capitalized and you have 40 or 50 positions and one or two are these kind of super losers that you're nursing, that may be okay because they individually may not be drawing down your net leak that much to affect your mentality or overall position. So from an individual position standpoint, understanding mechanically what's actually happening, as in this taking a loss, taking a winner, winner, winner until it evens out. And you're just mentally accounting for that, hey, this position, I managed to a scratch or whatever. That's okay as long as you properly budget for that capital allocation and the risk potential for that position. Now, from a portfolio standpoint, rolling is really meant to sort of adjust your exposure from a you know from a delta level from a theta level you know you're monitoring your risk. <clears throat> now I want to sort of challenge the, the the convention of having to win you know and this whole idea of delta neutral because I've thought about this. If you only sold puts, 
and you could roll it and they could win or whatever. Of course, you're going to have ups and downs. Your portfolio net lake is going to have a certain volatility. Now, let's say you decide to be Delta neutral and you sell calls as well. And your focus is more on your exposure to keep because Delta neutrality is only at entry. As soon as the market moves, you're no longer yeah. neutral and you same. have to roll or do something to adjust. Okay? And it's the same for the probability. You know, the probability is only true uh, right at the entry. And after that, the probabilities are constantly changing. So that's, yeah, same thing. But I want to I pose this kind of thought experiment. Let's just say you, you did all this stuff with the puts and the calls. Let's say you racked up all of the PLs, And at the end of the day, let's say you made, you know, $10,000 in total selling puts and after factoring losses and all the adjustments. And at the end of the day, your calls, you rack up all the trades and you made exactly $0 on the call side, right? You didn't lose, but you didn't win. What I can tell you is by not selling the calls at all, you're still going to make that $10,000 on the put side, but your volatility of your portfolio would be greater because what's going on is during the fluctuation and as the market moves and it's going up and down and from where you start to where you end, your PNL on both of them is going to end up at 10,000. But during that movement, whenever the puts are losing, the calls are padding your losses and they're smoothing out the volatility of your portfolio because Tasty Trade talks about this a lot, but it's, it's hard to, it's easy to miss this when you're too focused on just the concept of, okay, trade small, trade often, mm-hmm. you know, keep the dream alive. There's all these things that people gravitate towards because they just kind of have this shiny object syndrome or they do want to chase what's easy or what things to be the, what seems to be the magic recipe. But in between the line, the undertone is really about risk management. So if you made the same amount of money selling puts as, and, and selling puts and calls, but you've reduced the standard deviation and you know people talk about like the sharp ratio, which is measuring your return adjusted for the risk. But if you can boost the sharp ratio or reduce the standard deviation and the volatility of a portfolio without actually increasing your realized PL, is that so bad? Right? Right. Yes, it's more work. So maybe it's not worth it, right? You like, I just want to make my ten thousand dollars. I don't want to deal with the mental strength, mental capacity. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. it depends on the mindset and your goal. Like yeah. if, if if at the end of the day you look back and go, wow, I made the same amount of money, but my day-to-day movement was only plus or minus a percent. Whereas without it, I bought me plus or minus two or 3%. Right. That is, that is objectively better. Right. Right. But subjectively, it may not depending on what you go through in your head throughout that experience and the time you spend. But that's, I think the big takeaway for me, knowing kind of knowing what I know now. So, so let me, let me, let me ask you. um, And I know, so I've chosen to, to not do that, right? Sure. I've chosen to not do the call side. Not that I never get short. I do, you know, there are times where I get short. I do it in other ways. I do it with um, instruments like VXX, UVXY. I have a better, you know, I'm air quoting for the listeners system for when vol starts to pick up and I'm short vol and short, um, you know, with, with um, positive deltas, but um I, I've I've had a hard time carrying negative deltas with options, admittedly. Um, right. I'm not saying and and just you know, not that you shouldn't or whatever. That's just me. I'm talking about my personal experience. I'm not good at it, right? So, 
One of the things that I've done to adjust for what you're saying, though, about when you when you are carrying negative delta and things do, do go against you, it does smooth that curve. So what right. I've done is to just not be fully invested, right? So for example, let's say you're, you know, we're talking about a $10,000 um, lot of money mm-hmm. where if I was going to trade both sides, I might be using all of that money. Right. Um, but if I'm just trading half of that money to the long side, um, then that I've found that reduces some of that because then at that point, I know what my max losses are and things like that. Right. And I can say, okay, at, at any point, my max loss is only going to, you know, if, if we woke up tomorrow and there was another COVID crash, all 10 of these positions are going to go to zero, right? I'm going to experience right. max loss. So for me, what I've done is just said, okay, well, my max loss, when you add them all up is let's say 12, 15% of my account. Right. I'm okay with that. I'm okay, okay with that crash. Now, I could roll and see something if I thought it was going to be short term, but um, and, you know, and I don't know if that helps um, with. But I, I guess where I was was headed with the question of when you go delta neutral and you're selling the call side, it actually doesn't take up the same the the more capital because yes, the capital efficiency right? is definitely a the capital efficiency right. there. But but does that mean that you are more fully invested? Meaning you're trading two sides with the same type of capital versus, say, me trading one side with this, the same amount of capital. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, I, I think. Um, well, if you're using more capital, you're more fully invested, but that, it's not doubling your. It's not doubling your notional risk, but it is lowering your probability by virtue of being able to lose on both sides of the market, right? So it right. requires you now more have management. Two, you now have two risks. Yes, right, right. right. But, but in terms of the in terms of the notional risk. Yes, right. it's the same. And it's that's the what same. the capital efficiency means. You can potentially make more with not using more capital. All right, that's it for my first segment with David Sun. If you enjoyed this episode, you definitely don't want to miss our next segment coming out next week. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.